time. What is up and welcome back to the underground. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, serial killers, murderers, monsters, vampires, werewolves, invisible men, all of it. I am Jordan. Welcome to episode 10 of Pop Culture Underground, the show that is bringing you unforgiving takes, passionate opinion on all things pop culture, news, reviews, media, and more from a fan just like you. It is finally October. It has rained down upon us like a bunch of dead leaves that you want to rake up in the yard. My favorite season fall is here. And with that, we get Halloween. We get mask, more mask added to this year, of course. We get costumes. We get horror movies. We get dark, cold, scary nights. It is all finally back. Are we going to be trick-or-treating this year? I don't know. Who the hell knows? But it doesn't really matter because our horror movies are now gracing our screens left and right. I am a huge horror movie fan. And for this show, for the month of October, I will be featuring one horror movie per episode. And for the most part, these are going to be obscure horror movies, not like B-list, low-budget horror movies by any means. Most of them had decent budgets and are really good horror films. And for the most part, what I'm trying to do here is I want to put the spotlight on a lot of these movies because I think most of them are underrated, although a few of them are not. A few of them are very, very well-known. But I will be starting that this month, this episode, and it will run for the entire month of October. And we're going to do some other special things along the way, uh, more than likely on Halloween for sure. But I'm planning on doing a few more things because, man, there's a lot. If you guys don't know, I am a huge classic Universal Monsters movie fan. Like, big time. Creature from the Black Lagoon is probably my favorite one out of all of them. Frankenstein, of course, is a classic. Bride of Frankenstein. I have these awesome... Uh, universal horror movie, monster movie steelbooks that Alex Ross did the art for that I am absolutely in love with. And if you guys are big universal horror movie fans, you got to go check those out. But those classic monsters laid the groundwork for the future of horror and everything about horror that we know with Dracula and Frankenstein and all those ones I just mentioned. The, The original, the Invisible Man movie, which we got a great remake of from Blumhouse Studios recently. And they actually, the uh, Aldous Hodge is in that one, who we're going to be seeing as Hawkman. We just talked about that last week in episode nine. But man, it, it's going to be fun. This is one of my favorite times of year. It is my favorite season of the year. I love the wood-burning smell that comes over the air and just fills it with that aroma at this year of time. I can smell it now. And yes, I, I'm going to admit it, I love pumpkin spice. I love the flavor of pumpkin spice. I love pumpkin spice coffee, pumpkin spice Pop-Tarts, pumpkin spice cookies, Pumpkin spice anything. I mean, pumpkin spice cannabis, give it all to me. I I actually do not smoke right now, but I am a a big supporter of cannabis and cannabis reform, but that is is neither here or there. It doesn't belong here on this show. I I mean, maybe it it does. I I don't know. But, I mean, you almost kind of wonder, hey, you you almost have to smoke nowadays to get through this reality we're living in, right? I mean, like that debate the other night, I, I I don't bring politics onto this show, but How do I not mention the debate? We had our very first horror movie of the Halloween season already in the form of a presidential debate. I mean, how insane is that? And I'm not going to tell you either candidate I'm rooting for. I I do not want to get into that on this show. But man, it it was a horror show. I'll tell you that much. And we, it's, it's very fitting that it came right before the month of October. In fact, it probably should have been in October. But anyways... It's an exciting time of year, and I'm very happy that it is finally here, but the reason why I'm sitting here right now and doing this episode is because I felt the need for almost an emergency podcast. I mean, after the news broke that I really did, I thought it was a joke at first, Electro, coming back, 
He is coming back, guys. Jamie Foxx is reprising his role as Electro in the MCU. Now, it, it is important to note right here that the, during the final talks, nothing's been official. Nothing has been confirmed technically. They did ask Marvel for a comment. Marvel did not comment, which further indicates to me that it is going to be happening because uh, if it wasn't, I think they would have used that opportunity to shoot the rumors down, and they did not. So that just further implies what's going on here with this. How are they going to do this? What are they doing? We got to talk about all that in Marvel Weekly, so we got to get to that in a minute. But I am just so happy that October is finally here. And we are going to be featuring our first horror movie of what I'm calling here Movie Mash here on Popsy Underground. We're going to be featuring that at the end of the episode. I will give my first highlight movie that I want to bring up. And I'm going to be talking about all other kinds of movies, as I mentioned earlier, too. So it won't just be that one movie that I feature that I talk about on each episode of the month of October because there's so many other classic ones. I know I've already talked about Universal Horror almost the entire episode so far, but the original Wolfman, one of my all-time favorite horror movies of all time, I make sure I watch that every single year around this time. You got Nightmare on Elm Street, which is my ab- one of my absolute favorites, but my absolute favorite all-time horror movie is Halloween, the original Halloween it just doesn't get better than that. Scream Queen, Jamie Lee Curtis in there. The the fascinating, terrifying, I'm going to walk you to death, Michael Myers. You know, you get anybody that walks around and never runs and, and terrifies you that much, you, you're doing something right, right? So we got to talk about all of that this month. And one other thing that I would like to mention before we get rolling here is this is episode 10. And what a better way to do it than to kick off the month of October with episode 10 and also bring this insane news that I would almost think is part of a horror alternate reality movie myself with Electro coming back. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. I'm going to have a ton of fun giving my thoughts on that, let me tell you. But another thing I need to mention here before we get rolling is it is episode 10. And episode 10 is a big milestone for me. Like I said last episode, it's not episode 100. It's not episode 200. You know, I'm not mistaken in thinking that it's such a big milestone compared to those, but episode 10 means something to me because I feel like when you get to 10 episodes, you've got something and you should keep going with it. And, you know, I've been doing podcasting for, what is it, four years now. And I know I'm only 10 episodes deep into this one, but I've been doing it for for a little while now, and you know, we, we went 130 episodes back on the Supercast, and I, I'm trying to get a way to get those episodes back up. I'll probably be airing some of them on this podcast, like if I can't do two episodes a week, one week, I might put one of those out as like a retro podcast type thing, because I go back and listen to that stuff, and we, you know, we had so much fun doing that show, and I do miss Joe and David, and I mean, there there's a few things that I, I would like to say that maybe are better left unsaid, um... You know, I'm not going get to in, get into that here, but man, we had a lot of fun, and nothing could ever take that away, and man, it's just, I would love to get some of those episodes back out so people can listen to them, and you know, talking about Supercast, I have to refer to myself as Jordan again. You know, I almost dropped that moniker and didn't call myself that and just went with Jordan, and you know, you know I'm Jordan, your host and producer and whatnot, but everything that I do on social media, anybody that reacts with me calls me Jordan and types it out like the Kryptonian spelling, and that's where that comes from, is Superman's dad, Jor-El, and uh, Joe Prime, the old host on uh, our old podcast, The Supercast, he does Vintage Geeks now with the David, the same guy who used to do Supercast with as well, but me and Joe uh, originally started Supercast, just us two, and he gave me that moniker, 
it's a, it's a spinoff of Jor-El. It's the Kryptonian version of my name. So that's where that comes from. But I got to keep referring to myself as that because that is what everybody on social media knows me as. And that is what they refer to me as. So I guess that is not going anywhere. So yeah, I'm Jordan. Anyways, we, we, we really got to get into this stuff, man. This is, this is very exciting stuff. I don't have a ton of stuff to talk about this episode, but the few things that we do have are very exciting, like this Electro shit. Like, what the hell? So, before kicking this baby off with Marvel Weekly, let's go over the few things we are going to be discussing on this episode of Pop C Underground. Alright, this episode we will be discussing the aforementioned Electro fiasco and how Marvel is going to do this, what does this mean, and a little bit more on that. We will also be discussing our Miss Marvel has been cast. We now have our Miss Marvel on Disney+. Plus. How exciting is that? Over in DC Weekly, we will be discussing the Batman Death in the Family interactive movie that DC Animated is putting out as they today released the opening sequence to that film, but I mainly want to talk about the film in general, what it's going to be, and how excited I am for it. And to finish it off with Pop C Weekly, we will be discussing the Black Ops Cold War Zombies trailer, Star Wars Squadrons reviews, Oscar Isaac and Jake Gyllenhaal to star in a movie together, and then finally, to wrap this show up, I will be talking about my featured horror film, Carriers. So, if you haven't watched Carriers, or you have, and you know just how good of a movie it is and how much it relates to the pandemic that we're going through right now, you'll be excited to hear about that. But with all of that said, let's get this baby rolling with Marvel Weekly. Parker, turn on the radio or something. Too damn quiet in here. Sure thing, Mr. Jameson. Alright, let's talk about this, shall I say, electrifying news. Pun totally intended there. Bad joke, I know. Guys, Electro's coming back. Jamie Foxx really is reprising his Electro role from Amazing Spider-Man 2, now in the MCU in the third Spider-Man film, as THR is reporting that Jamie Foxx is in final talks to appear in Sony and Marvel Studios' Spider-Man 3 as the villain Electro. Marvel declined to comment on the story, further implying the truthness and legitimateness to this story, in my opinion. Like I said earlier, this would have been their opportunity to shoot this down if this was not true. So by them not saying anything, they say a lot, in my opinion. Now, this is not the first time that the MCU Spider-Man movies have brought back an actor from a previous Spider-Man franchise to reprise their role, because now Jamie Foxx will be joining J.K. Simmons, who reprised his role of J. Jonah Jameson, and now they're reprising characters from both Spider-Man franchises that came before this one. J.K. Simmons bringing back J. Jonah Jameson from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man era, and now Jamie Foxx bringing back Electro from the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man era. And that Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie, you know, for, I want to get my thoughts on it real quick. Electro in general was terrible. Don't get me wrong. The special effects, though, in that movie are really good, and I think the special effects in that movie actually outdo any of the special effects from Spider-Man Homecoming. I, I really do. I feel like those special effects were premiere, and they were really good, and if you take away the story and the terrible characters and the, the terrible everything else from that movie, the special effects alone are really, really good, and I actually like the character designs, too. Now, Jamie Foxx's Electro, I do not like it. He looks terrible. Now, I think they could update that and make that a lot better, but what's this going to be? Is this going to be a complete redoing of Electro? Or are we going to get an MCU version of Electro? Or 
is Doctor Strange 2, which starts filming very soon, by the way, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch announced today, is Doctor Strange 2 and WandaVision going to fuck up the Marvel Universe so much that we are going to get the actual Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Now, the reason why I think that's a little less likely is because that character looks so bad, and he was taken so bad and has such a bad stigma attached to it. I don't know why Marvel would want to bring that back, but if they do, if they do do that, can we ever then ask the question again, what can't Marvel do? I mean, I think I asked that question before, but what can't Marvel do here? I mean, if they can do this and succeed in doing this, they, they've done it all. They can do everything. Some would argue they already have done it all. But if they can bring back a character that is that much hated and is made fun of so much and is still to this day an internet meme, how in the hell can we ever question them again? So if there has ever been a time in your life to trust Marvel, now is the time. Trust in the process, right? I mean, this is insane. Or could it be possible that they are just going to redo the Electro villain in general? I'm split on this because I really don't think they would want to bring that stigma that's attached to Jamie Foxx's Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I really do feel like Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness and WandaVision is really going to mess up the fabric of the MCU and the reality of the MCU, and obviously they're going to open the door for a multiverse, so I think it actually is kind of possible that we get him from another universe. I just, man, I'm, I'm having a really hard time believing that they're going to bring us that, that exact Electro, but why else would you cast Jamie Foxx as Electro? Would you really want to do it over again with the same character? I, I man, I just don't know. But we also have to take note here and realize that Kevin Feige is somewhat of a fan of Jamie Foxx's Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2, because if you go back, he actually did like the character. Now remember, he was an executive producer on the first Amazing Spider-Man, but not the sequel. However, in a November 2013 email that was sent to then-Sony chairperson Amy Pascal, which leaked to everybody, he had actually said these words. He said, really love Electro. Feels like you may not need the scene in his apartment, which makes him seem completely crazy and hard to relate to. So that is very interesting to hear from Kevin Feige and say that he actually really liked Electro. That may point to a little bit of what they're trying to do here and why they're doing it. Now, he also went on to say that he really also liked the transformation. He said, quote, like the idea that eel goes in his mouth and instead of burrowing, you see it glow within him, Feige wrote on that scene where an electrocuted Max wakes up in the morgue. Feige added, quote, kind of like the morgue, but hate the dancing mortician cliche. So Kevin Feige clearly likes Electro in a general sense, and maybe he thinks that it shouldn't go to waste in that Amazing Spider-Man franchise that went nowhere at the end of the day. Could this also mean that the Sinister Six is going to be making some kind of appearance? Could this also mean that maybe a Spider-Verse type approach could happen here? That this could mean so many different things. I mean, if they do go the Spider-Verse route, you know, that's where Spider-Man goes to alternate dimensions with their own versions of Spider-Man. We saw a huge take on that with the Into the Spider-Verse movie a couple years ago. But that's where he goes to alternate alternate dimensions and sees other Spider-Men who band together and fight evil elements of the Spider-Verse. It's a concept that really got explored at the end of the 90s Spider-Man, the animated series cartoon. And what if they could pull a lot from there? But, I mean, there's also tons of iterations of the Spider-Verse in the comics. I mean, you go back to the comic book event in 2014, the Spider-Verse storyline. You got the 2010s Spider-Verse story. You've got, there's tons of Spider-Verse ideas 
and things that they could adapt here if that's the route they're going. Now, if they're going to just redo the character in general, I'm a little curious and I think it's a little odd that they would pick Jamie Foxx to come back and play another version of that character. So I'm almost leaning more towards the Spider-Verse route or the alternate dimension multiverse type aspect. I just can't believe they're doing it. I mean, it blows my mind. I mean, th that Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie is looked, down on, is looked down upon. I mean, it really is. People trash that movie left and right. But I'll continue to say it today. I, first off, I loved the Spider-Man suit from that movie. One of the best Spider-Man suits we ever got. And I also loved the special effects from it. I think Electro could have been really good. I liked the concept. I liked the idea. I hated the execution. And that's not Jamie Foxx's fault. He probably should have never signed on to that movie to begin with. But that's not his fault. He was doing, he was working with what he had. And, and he did, and I feel like he did good with what he had. I think he just had terrible material. I mean, good. Go look at Rhino from that movie. I mean, God, how terrible is that? And Feige even mentioned that. He, he said the, the tone Paul Giamatti's uh, Rhino character down so it's not so cartoonish. He had mentioned that in the email as well. But it's really interesting seeing these leaked emails from Kevin Feige back from 2013. It, it shows that he clearly likes it, so maybe he wants to take it and salvage it. And if anyone can do that, it's Kevin Feige and Marvel. I am so intrigued to see how they handle this. I am really going to be following this closely to see what they do. And Marvel not, on, not commenting on it definitely shows me that it is happening. Now, there's no story details about this. We don't know anything about this, how this could come to be. We don't even know that it's technically official yet, as Marvel's not going to say that yet. But once more details come out, you can trust that I will be covering it very closely here on Pop C Underground because I am super, super interested in this story. And like I said before, I thought it was a joke. I really did. I, I had to read the story three times. I had to fact check it. I had to go and confirm it by looking at it at multiple news outlets, comicbook.com, Screen Rant, uh, Deadline, so many different sites I went to to make sure that this was the real thing. And what do you know? It is. So if there's ever, ever been a time to trust in Feige, trust in Marvel, now is that time. I don't think they'll let us down. It's possible. Anything's possible, right? But another thing I was thinking about that we really need to keep in mind here is that Doctor Strange 2 is technically not supposed to release until 2022. And if you remember, Spider-Man 3 has a release date of December of 2021. Now, unless they already know that they're going to delay that movie into 2022 and they would have to put it later in the year, like way later in the year after Doctor Strange 2, unless they have that planned then if they're going to do a multiverse approach and pull Electro from that Amazing Spider-Man universe, then they would have to set it up in WandaVision or any of the other movies that comes before Spider-Man, which is just Eternals and the Black Widow movie. So, and I'm sure there's another one I'm not thinking of, but the ones that I'm thinking of that would actually impact the multiverse would be Doctor Strange 2 and WandaVision. So unless WandaVision completely disrupts the MCU and changes everything and opens the door to the multiverse, which I believe it will, obviously, because... I, at first, I thought maybe not because it's a Disney Plus series, but you got to remember, they're treating those as movies. So clearly, it's going to at least open the door to a multiverse, or you would think it would because Scarlet Witch is also going to be in Doctor Strange 2. So you would think that that's what's happening here with WandaVision, a, a clearly evidenced by the trailer as well. So if that's what they're going to do, they're going to have to delay it, or they're going to have to set it up in WandaVision because Spider-Man 3 comes out before Doctor Strange 2. Now, here's what I would like to see. I think I would actually like to see a complete reboot of the character. I am okay with it being Jamie Foxx, someone who's already played the character before. I don't think that would pull us away from it too much. I Honestly, I would be okay with both scenarios, 
But I would not mind seeing a new take on Electra with Jamie Foxx and give him another shot at it because, like I said, I feel like he did good with what he had to work with. I feel like it was the writing material that was the big problem and the execution of the movie in general. Jamie Foxx himself was not absolutely terrible. If you think about it from an acting perspective, I think he just had terrible stuff to work with and I'm, I'm almost not even sure why he ever agreed to do it in the first place, but now he can redeem himself with this. So I actually would like to see a, you know, a reboot of this character. And what you can do now is you can take the good things from that Electro, if there are any, from Amazing Spider-Man 2, and you can add in the notes that Kevin Feige had in those emails that were leaked, and you can build the Electro that he thought the movie should have done in the first place. That is what I would like to see. I would also like to see a Spider-Verse approach. I would also like to see a Multiverse approach. There's not many things here that I would not like to see. The only thing I wouldn't like to see is the same exact character doing the same exact things in another movie. I'm not sure I would like that. Here's the thing. If they do bring that specific version of Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2, I hope they reboot the design a little bit, change it up a little bit, make it a little more detailed, make it a lot better, and make that character fit the MCU a little bit more. You wouldn't have to tweak him too much. I mean, that was still a family-friendly version of Electro. So you could still have it so where he hates Spider-Man, but he could be somebody that does relate to the audience like Kevin Feige was talking about. Add in those cliff notes that Feige had, and you might just have a damn good lecture on your hands. I don't know. I am just at a loss for words about this whole story. I am shocked by it. I cannot believe they're doing it in any aspect. I, I can't believe they would bring him from that movie. I can't believe that he would be another character from the multiverse. I just can't believe that Jamie Foxx is actually playing Electro once again in a Spider-Man movie. I mind blown. Mind absolutely blown about this. And I just cannot wait to see what develops with this story. And I, I will be following it very, very closely. All right, we've got our Miss Marvel. As Iman Wilani, I'm told it's pronounced, has been cast to play Kamala Khan. This is a newcomer. A lot of people may not be familiar with her. I mean, she doesn't really have a Twitter as of the time of this episode anyways. She doesn't really have a Facebook. She doesn't have much of an internet profile out there. She does have a few things like a letterboxed and a couple other social media accounts that aren't very well known, but she doesn't have any acting credits. And like I said, she's got no verified social media accounts. So it's understandable that a lot of us, including me, do not know about her. However, this could make her the greatest example of Marvel finding who they believe will be the perfect Kamala Khan for years to come instead of prioritizing casting a bigger name. Wilani now has the role of a lifetime as she joins the largest movie franchise in history and will be the lead of the Disney Plus series. And since Kamala is already confirmed to appear in future MCU movies, people around the world will get to see a lot of Wilani in the years to come after her debut in Miss Marvel. Now, what's also funny is I see a lot of sites like Screen Rant and Cosmic Book News are really making a big deal about the fact that she did not like the Captain Marvel movie. Now, they said that she did not say that she didn't like Brie Larson. She just didn't like the movie in general, which is funny since Miss Marvel, you know, shares the same name as Captain Marvel. Now, they are not the same character. In fact, Miss Marvel is an inhuman who has a polymorph power. She can extend her arms. She can make her hands super big, her legs super big. She can grow her entire body. That is the power she has. And so it's really, really cool to see them going with a newcomer because they think that she may be the perfect Kamala Khan as opposed to casting a very well-known actress. Mark Ruffalo even tweeted welcoming her to the MCU. And he said, glad to see the Marvel family embiggening. 
Welcome, Iman, Miss Marvel. And that is what she can do. She can embiggen herself, if you want to use that term. And I myself think that this is undoubtedly the best decision and a very good choice that Marvel could have made because it demonstrates a fresh commitment to diversity for Marvel because Kamala Khan was created in 2014 and she immediately made headlines as Marvel Comics' first Muslim-American superhero to star in her own solo book. The character became a fan favorite, a big-time fan favorite, and her ongoing comic book series continues to present day and she even now leads her own superhero team. Kamala has been adapted for Marvel Television's animated series Marvel Rising before, and she's also a big-time playable character in the current Avengers game, so she is heavily represented throughout media, and now she has finally made her way to the live-action screen, and I cannot wait to see this. This is really, really cool. It's a great way to see Marvel really committing to diversity, not just with this actress herself, but with the directors and everybody involved with the movie. It's going to represent a big part of the globe, a lot of people, and this is really, really cool to see. So, Iman Wilani, welcome to the MCU. You instantly have a million strong fan following, and I cannot wait to see you on the small screen and the big screen in the future. And that will wrap up Marvel Weekly. So, let's hit up DC Weekly. <laughs> It's that time again, boys and girls, for the DC <laughs> Weekly. The only story I have in DC Weekly this week is Batman A Death in the Family has released the title sequence for the film, setting up the events leading to Jason Todd's potential death at the hands of the Joker. Now, this upcoming Batman animated feature, and this is what I mainly wanted to talk about, is going to be the first ever DC movie that will let you choose your own adventure route. Now, this was unveiled back in July, but with this news here, gave me the opportunity to talk about this a little bit. Viewers are going to be able to pick different actions while watching, changing the outcome of the story. Now, if you remember, 1988 was the year that the two seminal Joker stories in the Batman mythos happened. First was The Killing Joke, the graphic novel forever influencing the iconic villain, and then there was A Death in the Family. Now, in the four-part event, Joker brutally kills Robin slash Jason Todd with a crowbar. This was the first time Joker murdered an important individual in Batman's life. The event is also known for its rather wacky plot of Joker becoming an Iranian ambassador, though this was later retconned into a fictional country. But A Death in the Family was partially adapted into the 2010 animated film already, Batman Under the Red Hood, one of my all-time favorites Batman animated movies. Maybe my all-time favorite Batman animated movie. Maybe DC animated movie. Now, in the new movie, once again adapting A Death in the Family, fans will decide what happens to Jason Todd once again. If you remember, DC famously did this a while back. So they're going to do this again in this new Choose Your Own Adventure movie. We've seen this a few times. We had Black Mirror's Bandersnatch. They got a Minecraft one on Netflix. There's multiple Choose Your Own Adventure things now. And I do like them. I'm not a huge fan of them. Like, I don't love them. Like, I didn't love Bandersnatch, but I liked it. And doing this here in animated form may make it a little more fun. I, I don't know why, but I feel like an animated movie especially with, you know, get Batman involved and you get to pick these things that happen. I think this might breathe some fresh life into the choose your own adventure genre. And hopefully 
This is going to be really, really good, and hopefully it's going to be really fun. And of course, I will get on it, watch it, and I will choose every single thing I can to see every single outcome you can get, and hopefully it will be a lot of fun. And I'm just, I'm excited for this. I love the Death in the Family storyline. I love anything with Batman, anything with the Joker, but the chance that we maybe get to kill Jason Todd one more time... And the opening title sequence that they released here is actually pretty cool. It does build excitement from the onset because one of the most exciting aspects of Under the Red Hood was Ra's al Ghul aligning himself with the Joker. And sadly, that was never shown on screen. It was only stated. But you can see it here in the opening title sequence for the new movie. So now Warner Brothers is trying its hand at interactive storytelling. It's an exciting move. And I think it's really cool that they are doing this with a familiar storyline that we all know and love because now it can go in completely new directions. It can go in totally different ways, and it adds value to the purchase of the movie because there's several different choices that lead to new scenes. It really should be a fun viewing experience, especially for those watching in groups, and fans will get to see the extent of the different options when Batman Adept and the Family hits home media on October 13th. After that, the next animated film will be Batman Soul the Dragon. The next animated film that stars Batman, of course, is 2021's Batman Soul the Dragon. So this is the only other Batman movie we're going to get this year, and I am very excited for it. I will watch it with my kids, and we will have a ton of fun choosing our options as the movie goes on. And I cannot wait to see what new scenes, what new setups, what new aspects we're going to get from this. Hopefully it's not just a bland, boring story. Hopefully it's really fun. I am really counting on it, and I cannot wait to watch this one when it comes out. Alright guys, that is all I had for DC Weekly, so it is now time to move on to the final segment before we talk about our horror movie. Let's go ahead and get into Pop C Weekly and talk about zombies. Alright, let's talk about this zombies trailer. So, I loved it. From the onset, I just want to say, it looks to me... Like, it is a fresh new experience while still infusing a lot of those things that we all love from zombies in the past, but they are really making it fresh and new. I mean, it's going to be probably the most epic zombies experience ever. So, we had a lot of new things revealed to us here. In the full trailer, we get to see that the Pack-A-Punch machines and perks are coming back, and the, mo the zombies mode that they're featuring here is called Die Machine. And one thing I really loved about the beginning of this trailer was the dark setting with the lights on your guns. Because I remember playing Warzone, and you had that night mode where you would either have your night vision goggles on, or you could take them off, and you, you could have a light on your gun illuminating things. I was like, man, this would be really cool with a zombies mode, and here they are doing it. It looks terrifying, while also looking fun as hell, which is the most important thing. So when they're going through there, and the zombies just jump out at you within that illuminating light that you have on your gun, that is terrifying and the graphics look so good. It was captured on a PS5. It looks amazing. We've got old things coming back like the Pack-A-Punch perks. It looks like the mystery box is making its way back, but we also had new things like that huge cannon gun that shot that blue orb that like disintegrated the zombies kind of in a slow manner, but maybe that's because the trailer was in slow-mo. There are so many cool things that they are adding here. Black Ops Cold War is looking really good, especially after I played that early, early beta. The alpha, It was actually the alpha I had a lot of fun with that. I thought the feeling of the game was really good. It looked like it was more than just Modern Warfare, but redone as, as a Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, even though I still feel like a little of that is present. 
But man, now that we're going to have the campaign, the multiplayer, the battle royale mode with Warzone, and then we're going to have zombies as well, this game is going to be worth every dollar in my opinion. I will pick it up, no question. I always do the Call of Duty games, but zombies making a return here in this fashion, I really, really love the trailer. I am going to give the trailer an Undie Award. And if you don't know what that is, here on Popsy Underground, I uh, do the rating system in honor of my favorite TV show, The Office. So if I love something, like, you cannot miss it, and I have the highest of praises ever for it, it gets an Undie Award, which is similar to a Dundee Award that Michael Scott gives out on The Office, but an Undie Award instead for Pop Culture Underground. And then I also do Stanley's, which are just middle of the pack, like, yeah, it's good, but you could afford to miss it, but check it out if you have the time. That gets a Stanley. I have good Stanleys that are that are higher up towards an undie, and I also have bad Stanleys, which are a lot closer to this next one. If it's dog shit, it's trash, I, I uh, pretty much give you permission to never listen to this show ever again. I guess I would deny you permission to listen to it. I give it a Toby because everybody hates Toby on The Office, so everybody would hate what I'm talking about in this instance. I would give it a Toby. This trailer is getting an undie award, no question about it. I am going to give it five ray guns out of five. Yes, five ray guns out of five. I think this is the first time I've ever given anything a five out of five here on the show, except for maybe the boys. But man, the ray gun coming back looked so fun. You got this new X-Fill option where a helicopter can come extract your team and help you out. You can create, you're going to be able to create new things to help you fight the zombies. Looks like there's all kinds of new weapons and new ideas while also bringing like Juggernaug that we, we all love Juggernaug, right? We love the Pack-A-Punch perks. So they're bringing that back because they know we all love it while also adding all of this new stuff that looks like it's going to make zombie fighting so much more fun. Obviously, you're going to need a lot of strategy to be able to keep going against these waves of zombies. And they also highly showcased a lot of the different zombies that we're going to get. We had noxious green gas looking zombies. We had a freaking evil looking dog type things. It looks like a, like a lot of these zombies are Nazi zombies as well, which is great. I always loved Nazi zombies. Was They were always my favorite. And there were a few other things showcased here in this trailer that I'm sure I'm missing, but I do got to get moving along. But man, I am genuinely excited and pumped for this new zombies mode zombies mode is coming back we did not have it this year it's finally coming back and man it is coming back with a pack a punch pun intended again i'm on a roll tonight all right we got to end the zombie story but oh my god i was excited for that i cannot wait to see more i cannot wait for the next generation of systems and the next call of duty game bring it on i am tired of waiting let's go all right, next up here is a review roundup of the Star Wars Squadrons game, which hits uh, actually the day this episode is out, and I believe it's going to be $40, but ahead of its release, critics have come out and praised it as dogfighting as its best. So this game, Star Wars Squadrons, actually serves as an indirect continuation to Star Wars Rogue Squadron, which was the iconic video game from the late 1990s. Now, the title was officially revealed by EA back in June, and now we are finally getting it. It will be out the day this episode comes out. So the critics have spoken, and to sum it up, the game is rated very high, with scores going as high as 90 out of 100, according to Metacritic. Now, to basically sum up what the critics are saying, is they are saying that Star Wars Squadrons is being highly praised for the careful and respectful handling of the source material. All of the features that make space battles in the Star Wars saga so exciting and mesmerizing are here. 
including authentic audio effects and visual design of Starfighters. While there's no doubt that Squadrons faithfully recreates the style and the overall magic atmosphere of the galaxy far, far away, critics note a few weak points, especially paying attention to the lack of available game modes and relatively small scale of battles. But mostly high praise is being rained down upon this game. Inside of the cockpits look very, very detailed. The side characters look really, really good and like they have a lot of backstory to them. Now, I did read that their backstories do not intertwine with the main story and don't have much of an effect on it, so that's unfortunate. But the fact that they're there and that it's that full of detail for these side characters is really cool. The lack of game modes is concerning, but when you look at the game and how it's played, the graphics look beautiful. The immersion of the galaxy and you being in a starfighter looks fantastic. The space battles look like they are just some of the best ever done. I cannot wait to get my hands on this game and play it. It looks great. The reviews are fantastic, and it looks like Star Wars Squadrons is finally a hit. So finally, when EA actually takes one aspect of the Star Wars universe and focuses on that one aspect in that one little corner of it, they succeed very well. Jedi Fallen Order, I thought, was really, really good. But the Battlefield games, which are just too big and they tried to focus too much on the whole world at once, just didn't work. But when they take it and follow one specific story and one specific aspect of the Star Wars universe, they succeed. So they gotta keep doing this and we gotta keep getting these good Star Wars games as now we have two in a row and that is very good after the first two failures of the Battlefront remakes that came out. EA has finally maybe found a formula for these Star Wars games and I cannot wait to play this one and I cannot wait to play future ones. And to wrap up Popsy Weekly this episode, Oscar Isaac and Jake Gyllenhaal are going to star in a Godfather-making of movie, Barry Levinson's planned film, Francis and the Godfather. So this is exciting to me because, first off, I love that movie. Who doesn't? It's an iconic American film and, of course, stars the legendary Marlon Brando, who I kind of got my podcast name from considering he played Jor-El in the Superman movie, and there's a lot of controversy behind that casting and why he wasn't in the second movie, and we covered that deeply very deeply on the supercast. But even though this film is one of the most widely known films, and people even considered it to be the number one movie you need to watch to be a man a couple of years ago, which, I don't know, is kind of stupid, but even though this movie is so big and so legendary, there was a time where this film was actually thought to be a massive gamble that most believed would flop at the box office and ruin the careers of the legendary people involved. Now, the director indeed famously fought a number of epic battles with Paramount over the movie, the biggest of all coming over the studio's aversion to casting the notoriously difficult Brando as Don Corleone. Now, he was even notoriously difficult to deal with in the Superman movies, which is what I was just talking to a minute ago. Now, indeed, the making of The Godfather is almost as compelling a story as the one told by the movie itself, including as it does a number of film history's most important figures. And of course, this fascinating making of story of The Godfather has already led to loads of books and documentaries, but now the movie's origins will be recounted in a feature film entitled Francis and The Godfather from director Barry Levinson. And, reported by Deadline, Levinson has already begun putting together a cast worthy of a movie about one of cinema's greatest masterpieces, with Oscar Isaac tapped to play the legendary writer-director of Godfather, and Jake Gyllenhaal to play notorious film producer Bob Evans. 
So I love those two actors. Jake Gyllenhaal, in particular, was so good in Nightcrawler, and he was even good as Mysterio, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of what Marvel did with Mysterio in that movie, but he was still good in it. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. He, he is a fantastic fantastic actor, and of course, Oscar Isaac as well. Who can forget about him? So bringing those two on really alerted me to this movie in the first place, but the fact that it's about the making of The Godfather, I love movies like this. Biopic movies, documentary-like movies, those are my favorite movies. I love it when I can sit down and be entertained and also learn. Those are two things that really get me going and really make me think that a movie is really, really good. So I wanted to bring up this new story because I am very, very excited for this film. And that will do it for Popsy Weekly. So let's go ahead and go over our very first movie mash movie here that we're going to feature for the month of October that we're going to be doing every episode this month. The movie this time is Carriers. Now, one of the biggest reasons I picked Carriers was because I do think it's a very good movie, but also because of how much it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic we are all living in right now. I mean, Carriers really is an underrated pandemic horror movie that was way ahead of its time, and this COVID virus makes it worthy of a second look 11 years later. Guys, this movie initially came out in 2009 in a theatrical release, but due to its limited release in the US and the fact that it did sit on the shelf for three years to coincide with Chris Pine's success in Star Trek, Carriers only went on to make just under $6 million at the box office, but I do feel like it's worth a lot more than that. Now, it was promoted as if it was akin to 28 Days Later. Carriers was written off as being forgettable and too similar to any other post-apocalyptic movie it may have been reminiscent of since it did lack the action fans of the infected and the undead craved. But I loved the tension it built. I loved the realism it really showcased. And I really liked Chris Pine's performance here. I love the fact that a lot of the characters, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but you know, a lot of them do die, you know, and it's like you wouldn't think most of them did. And it has a lot of suspense with like, is this person infected? Do we, do we think she is? There is a ton of suspense built in this movie. This movie is very, very well done in the suspense aspect and the thriller aspect. And it does have a lot of horror elements to it as well. Now, there's not a lot of action scenes in it, but the ones that there are, the big suspenseful action moments, I think are done really well. I mean, it's not the greatest horror movie ever made, okay? But now that we all know what, what a pandemic really is like, it makes that movie even more worth watching. And Carriers is actually more about establishing an atmosphere because the movie is a slow burn, but it matches how a virus spreads and how carefree the world can be to something so vitally destructive. Sound familiar? This not only makes Carriers ahead of its time in my opinion, but it, it could make it the ultimate pandemic movie. I mean, if you really think about it, after you watch it, tell me what you think. Now, in 2020, Steven Soderbergh's 2011 thriller Contagion was getting all the credit and the attention of a quarantined audience. However, six months into this pandemic, when Americans now know what it's like to live with an earth-stopping virus, like I was just saying, Carriers is easily more relatable as Contagion, or I guess as relatable, but I think it's even more relatable. The, the post-apocalyptic thriller is from screenwriter and director brotherly duo Alex and David Pastor, and it really leaves a harrowing and meaningful impression, as I said earlier, 
I, guys, I really like this movie. I think it's definitely worth your time. You gotta go check it out. I do not believe it's streaming anywhere yet. It is October 1st. Horror movies are about to show up like a plague, I guess would be something to use instead of pandemic, but they're going to start showing up like a plague on all your streaming services, so keep an eye out for this one, but you can rent it for like two or three bucks on Amazon Prime, and it is definitely worth that in my opinion. I, I think it is a great movie. you got to go check it out. It also depicts a constant struggle between two brothers. So you got Danny, who's played by Lou Taylor Pucci, if I'm saying that name right. Danny hasn't experienced enough of the apocalypse to do what needs to be done. And that's what this movie is mostly about. It's about doing what needs to be done to survive in a pandemic world, a post-apocalyptic world in this case. And Danny wants to save everyone. He doesn't have much blood on his hands since he was on the verge of going to college when this apocalypse happened in the movie. Now, meanwhile, Brian, who is played by Chris Pine, my favorite character in this movie, is doing whatever needs to be done in order for their group to survive. And he does some fucked up things, guys. And he is just a great character that I really enjoyed. He dug countless graves for the dead and even killed his parents before the virus could fully take hold of them. I'm not going to give any more spoilers than that, but the compassionate are seen as weak in carriers. And while those lacking remorse and sympathy, they persevere. Being inhuman and emotionless is really a realistic perspective in this world. There is a thin line between decency and morals and actual survival. And I think that is what makes this movie so appealing, especially nowadays. I mean, Carriers is even similar to the COVID pandemic because in the movie, Brian and Danny's group drive by a Chinese man's corpse tied to a water tower with a derogatory sign strapped to him, blaming his race for the virus. How, how familiar is that? I mean, guys, humans can be closed-minded and imperfect as a species, and it, they can often be quick to blame anyone or anything in hopes of shifting credit as long as accountability is pointed in the other direction. So with a virus of this stature, it simply doesn't matter where it came from. And I'm talking about the movie and real life. So Carriers does take place after civilization has already fallen, unlike the COVID pandemic. So the, uh, the comparisons kind of stop there. But the nation and possibly even the world is in shambles in this movie. Those who are still alive are living on scraps and steal from other scavengers. Brian and Danny try to make rules that their group shouldn't break if the attention if the intention is to live. Now, of course, Carriers dives into why those rules would have, would have to be broken. But said rules include avoiding the infected at all cost, disinfecting everything with bleach, and attempting to avoid major highways. Sound familiar? These characters wear masks and gloves, sound familiar, and isolate themselves from the contagious virus when needed, just like what is required to go out in public in the year 2020 in real life. So those similarities are striking to me, and just another reason why I wanted Carriers to be the first movie we featured here, because I really do feel like it is worth your time, I really do feel like you should check it out, and I really do feel like you will enjoy it. And I will rate Carriers three and a half N95 mask out of five, giving it a solid good Stanley. Guys, thank you so much for joining the 10th episode of Pop C Underground, Pop Culture Underground, if you'll have it. I really appreciate it. I cannot tell you what it means to me for people to reach out and leave comments on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and what they're saying. And my kid's screaming in the background right now. I'm sorry. He's crazy. I, I don't have any excuses for him anymore. But, man, I just thank you. It makes my day when one of you recognize me from the supercast or when one of you comment and 
you know, say how much you like the show and the information and the, the passion that I bring. That's one thing I, I see mentioned more than anything is the passion I have for this. And I do. I have a ton of passion for this show. And if you guys want to see more of that and see me post about that, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as I post all day, every day. All of them are at PopCUnderground. You can also leave an email at PopCUnderground at gmail.com. And if you feel inclined, I do do this full time. I want to try to keep the show ad-free, keep it going. You can tip the show at the tip jar at the bottom of the link. And we do have a website. The website link is on the bottom of the show notes as well. Sorry, the tip jar link and the website are both at the bottom of the show notes. So go check that out if you want to. Once again, either way, thank you so much. Thank you if you left a review. I do want to read a very quick review that really, really got me excited and really happy to read it. And it just really made my day. And I believe it's from Blake Perkins, who is a fantastic guy. He made me this awesome wood sculpture where I put my uh, Hasbro Infinity Gauntlet on, you know, the Marvel Legends one. It's a stand for that, and it has the supercast uh, burnt into the front of it and engraved into the front of it, if you will. It, the woodwork is really, really cool. But the uh, the review that I want to mention real quick, it is from B Perk 8504 and it is a five-star review. That's all I have. It says, this is a great show. The host reviews all things pop culture, movies, TV, video games, collectibles, comics, etc. Jordan is a podcast veteran and isn't afraid to give his honest review of anything and everything that he is interested in. That is true. Whether his opinions are popular or not. That is true. He is active on social media and regularly interacts with listeners. He is also a big DC fan. I would highly recommend this show to anyone interested in DC comics slash characters and wants opinions from someone that is not a DC hater, which is somewhat rare in the age of MCU popularity. Man, thank you so much for that review. That really made my day, and I really, really appreciate it. All of you other people that left reviews as well, I really appreciate that. If you have not please go do so. That is the number one best way you can support the show is go leave a review. The more reviews we have, the more word of mouth we get. Tell your friends about me if you want. If you're not embarrassed, I'm a little crazy, I know. But, guys, uh, whether you leave a review or not, whether you share the word or not, whatever, if you listen to this show even one time for one minute, I thank you. That is the whole reason I do it. I don't do it for money. Even though I am doing it full-time, don't get me wrong, making money would be nice. But I don't do it for that. I do it for my passion to get my thoughts out there and hopefully a few of you even if it's just one or two appreciate it agree with it and can somehow relate to it because I, I i need all you guys i do i need everybody out there it helps my anxiety it helps my problems just to get on here and bullshit for an hour or whatever really really helps me so you guys are helping me more than you will ever know and i appreciate that so much and i will never forget that Guys, thank you so much once again. I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good month of October. Drink those pumpkin spice lattes. Get that pumpkin spice cannabis. Get that pumpkin spice cake. Eat it all up because it's always the best at this time of year. Guys, I appreciate it. I will see all of you in a few days on the next episode, and we will feature another horror movie while also going over Marvel Weekly, DC Weekly, and Popsy Weekly like always. Guys, I appreciate it. I love all of you, and I will see you all on the next episode. Save that world one podcast at a time. Sometimes I forget that. Later. Later.